Money penny. Money penny. Money penny. Mm, look at me now, money penny. What's up? That's my Connery impression. <laughs> Sean Connery. That's all I got. <laughs> I've always wanted to be good at a Sean Connery impression, but I just don't got it. Yeah. I just don't got it. I mean, not all of us can be born so lucky. That's true. <laughs> you know? He I always m- wanted hair on my chest like Sean Connery. That's more my thing. Well, I was going to say, the lack of hair on his head might disagree with you as far as the luck is concerned. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> but I'd rather have my distribution of hair than his, I guess. <laughs> just move it around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But the voice and the body, I think that's probably what I, I, I want. That's what I aspire to. <laughs> As far as like sexy Sean Connerys, I mean, there's quite a few out there. I, I actually love his, um, um, what the hell's his character in Hunt for Red October? What the heck's that guy's Oh, name? yeah. That's a that's a good looking Sean Connery right there. That's a silver fox right there. Ramius. 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 Ah, Ramius. Yeah, the guy aged gracefully. Yes, he did. You know, didn't really treat women gracefully, but. Hey, well, did he not treat women gracefully or did his 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 Jimmy Bond? Well, we know Jimmy Bond doesn't. Well, treat Jimmy Bond does. Jimmy Bond's a whole other <laughs> level of. Jimmy Bond is a monster. <laughs> he is that fucking. Guy. Jimmy Bond has HBO miniseries <laughs> <laughs> devoted to his evil. He's just made a whole collection of movies about his difficulties with women. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Jimmy Bond, dude. How funny is it? First of all, the Woody Allen parts are the only parts of this movie that work for me in the slightest. <laughs> Which is hilarious, what? but <laughs> there's like two seconds of Woody Allen in yeah. the movie. But they do the Scooby Doo Scrappy Doo twist. They do from yeah. the live action Scooby Doo. It's the evil nephew. The I was like, I was thinking the exact same thing. Pulling strings Re- behind the curtain. It's the same twist. I was like, if 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 Nico doesn't bring it up, I'm gonna bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, that's insane. It's Scrappy Doo. It is. It literally is. Which traumatized me when I saw that live action Scooby Doo back in the day, and it's like this giant mutant Scrappy. I mean, there was already this weird uncanny valley thing going on with Scooby himself but then you find out like Scrappy is this like roided up Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde creature do people not like Scrappy do uh Scrappy's a little shit he's a little shit I never realized like he was uh reviled and that you know (laughs) send him to the pound he sucks that was never my impression of Scrappy do (laughs) right who did James Gunn write that movie he wrote the movie yeah I don't know who made it I imagine that Hollywood does not know either yeah he's long gone I'm sure (laughs) best thing to come out of that movie is Matt Lillard I I mean he was already a well-known name but like that kind of is like his most iconic role Certainly is. Yeah. 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 And he still does, I think, the animated voices. Really? Yeah. God, he's so fucking good. Raja Gosnell did uh, Scooby-Doo, and he went on to direct both Smurfs live-action adaptations. I have not seen the Smurfs movies. Uh, He also did Yours, Mine, and Ours, Beverly Hills, Chihuahua. Oh, that makes sense. He most recently did the uh, film Show Dogs, starring Will Arnett and Ludacris. Yikes. So he's still hanging around. I think like uh, weird CGI dogs that talk sometimes are kind of his uh, bread and butter. 
It, does, it looks like something like what a workshop might have produced, though. It looks like something out of like Peter Jackson's The Frighteners. Mm. It works in The Frighteners because it's The Frighteners. Uh, I know, I know, it's Scooby Doo, and it's supposed to be like ghouls and shit. But like, I'm not supposed to be terrified by Scooby Doo. Roger Gosnell's debut picture in 1997 is a film called Home Alone Three. <laughs> ah, that guy. Oh, so we've covered. <laughs> We have. We've covered his filmography. He also did uh, Big Mama's House in 2000, Never Been Kissed, and see Drew Barrymore rom-com. It's like the most predictable filmography for a guy who (laughs) who made (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Good money if you can get it, you know? Sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Woody, man. Uh, Oh, yeah, Woody. Casino Royale, 1967. That's the movie we're covering today. Yes. This is your selection. Yes, it is. After you won the Oscars game in dramatic fashion mm-hmm. live on YouTube and uh, Nick is not here with us because I don't know. He's like uh, he's globe trotting. He's been out and about on he's these a, streets. He's a punk. That guy. That's oh, what he's he a is. punk. He's too. a punk. So he wussed out and he's not here for yeah. your assignment. I think maybe you get a redo. I think you get to pick another I one. I get to pick another one? I think so. Oh, boy. Why? What, just, just to get him? Yeah. Okay. I think you beat Nick, so you need to force him to watch a movie as well. That's fair. I mean, I'd love it if he would watch this. Obviously, we're not going to do it again with Nick. That would be quite weird. But um, sure. We could just become a Casino Royale podcast. We could do many a shows just on this one movie. We b- sure could. By, by the way. We holy, sure holy could. Holy fucking shit, this movie. Yeah. But, um, no, okay, I'll come up with something else. Yeah. I'll think of another one for good old Nick. Why did you choose this one? <laughs> well, um, I don't really know. Okay, I don't. I don't need a reason. It's not really apropos of anything aside from the fact that uh, Burke Bacharach died in February. I guess. So yeah, sure. That's a that's about the only thing, only connection you could draw. We are nowhere close to a new Bond film. We're two years removed from the last one. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a movie that just kind of came to mind. I'm always looking for like the less obvious things that we could do for this show, and I'm and it it really annoys me when I when I land on something like eh, I guess we'll just do Mac and Me, but everyone's done Mac and Me, right? I was like, I want the interesting stuff, and then I got recommended a video about like the tumultuous experiences of making bond films and it was it was another podcast funny enough and this one was mentioned and i and it light bulb just boom went off in my head because i've seen this movie before yeah i saw it the year casino royale 2006 comes out that's wild course you watched this movie the same year that the original came out <laughs> well, not, or that the actual it? i shouldn't say original but the appropriate the actual casino yes. because this don't count right. um no no i i had, i watched it purely out of curiosity because it was playing on tv for some godforsaken reason it was on tv a lot yeah i feel like it was either on like turner classic movies or uh or hbo or something quite a bit when yeah. i was a kid i do remember flipping on it and being curious about the Peter Sellers aspects of it, because I was obsessed with the Pink Panther movies growing up, but not having any real interest in Bond. Okay. So I, I'd never watched it through. I maybe watched like two minute increments at various points in my life. Boy, oh boy, would I love this to be your first Bond experience. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it might have been. I would, and anybody, I'd love to show this to anybody, be like, this is Bond, guys. You want to know what Bond really is? Let me show you Casino Royale. It's certainly <laughs> Bond for someone, you know? <laughs> someone definitely watched this as a child for the first time. And it's like, you know something? I think Bond needs to really go back to its roots with Casino Royale in yeah. 1967. Right. Um, 
No, I watched this. Be, yeah, because I had seen the 2006 one, loved it, mm. loved it. But I was only 11 at that time, mm. and I was like, "Well, I got to see the original. There's an original. Oh my god, I got to watch it." And my, you know, my 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 parents ended up renting it, and they and they watched it. We watched it with a bunch of friends. Um, I don't remember a lot about that experience other than just me being as a kid very very confused. Mm. Uh, as you as you can imagine, I mean, I'm confused now. Oh, I don't blame I'm you. I'm much older now than you were then, and I am very confused. I, I I just rewatched the movie, and I'm I'm quite confused. I'm even more confused, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I I I just kind of remember like the movie. Uh, losing me so often that I was kind of in and out. The thing that stuck with me most was the third act, because how could it not? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I haven't revisited the thing since. But, you know, when I listened to that podcast, I was like, oh, wait a second, this is a perfect opportunity. And I've heard, a, I've read a little bit more on it, and I know that the behind the scenes on this movie is quite funny and kind of insane. Well, and also, uh, like, exactly what you would expect if you watched the final product. <laughs> like, yep. It is illuminating in that everything clicks in the second you hear that Orson Welles and Peter Sellers <laughs> refuse to <laughs> be on set together. And you hear that, and it's like, oh, of course that's the case. That's why there's an abrupt cut as <laughs> Peter Sellers gets onto the race car, oh and God. then he's immediately <laughs> in a prison cell. It's like, oh, okay, he stormed off in a rage for yeah. a month and refused to come to work. It's like, wait a second, did, did I miss something? Did, yeah. did, is what what just happened? You'll note note by the way that that joke is reused in one of the Pink Panther movies. Uh, when it's in the the fourth Pink Panther movie, uh. you know, follow that car, and then the guy runs after the car. Oh remember, yeah, remember that one? Sure. Uh, Peter Sellers is top build in this movie. He is top build, even though he is not playing the actual James Bond no. in a movie with seven James Bonds. More on that in a bit. Uh yeah. He also got three percent of the gross. <laughs> Oh, he no. was plastered on the poster. This was always billed to me as a Peter Sellers vehicle. And I think going into it, I was imagining a vaguely Bond-ish story in the vein of like Austin Powers with Peter Sellers at the center of it playing an overtly comedic Bond. Like I always thought of it as just <laughs> prototypical Austin Powers. It's f- funny how semi-right and very wrong you are <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> because um, it does in many ways prefigure some of the elements that we will see in Austin Powers and yes kind of like clearly perfects what this movie was trying to do in very heavy quotes yes um the, the, you know the, the consensus sort of being like like some of the iconography with like the Dr. Evil chair the music oh my god well, Burt Bacharach Burt yeah. Bacharach of it all I mean the whole Burt Bacharach scene in Austin Powers is a direct homage yeah, to yeah. the fact that he did the score for this movie yeah, precisely precisely ladies and gentlemen Mr. Burt Bacharach what the world needs now is love sweet love no not just for some the psychedelic elements, of, of of course, and then just kind of the generally deconstructive nature and poking fun of like why Bond is stupid, but um, kind of though, but yeah, could sort of. Kind I know, but don't, yeah. we're not even close. Okay. We're not even close. Sorry. We're not even close. But because uh, <laughs> I agree with you, but we're not there yet. But um, that being said, people, us just saying doesn't even prepare you for how bewildering this movie actually is. Yeah, it's really puzzling. <laughs> Um, so how do, how do we even explain this? Oh, so, should geez. we just like 
do the the plot here? Can I try to explain the plot? Do you want some of the behind the scenes on, on what actually happens? Yes, go ahead. This is something that was kicked around for a very long time and rights for the original book kind of shifted hands all over the place and yes. they ran they, there there was a guy that that obtained the rights skin gave us the first actual notable adaptation of Casino Royale in a TV show uh, called Climax. Yes, a guy a fellow by the name of Ratliff. Rat Ratliff, yeah. Rat uh first name is who cares? His last name's Ratliff. <laughs> Ratliff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, he produces. Uh, he he has, buys the rights like immediately after the book comes out. I think it's like 1953. Yeah, uh, Ian Fleming was already interested in in optioning the rights for movies. He already yeah. envisioned this. Yeah, sees the potential for it. Even though Doctor No doesn't come out until the 60s. Yeah, so 63. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's when the bro- the broccoli's don't get involved until way later. Yeah. And so yeah, right. This guy Ratliff buys the rights and does. Uh, it's a CBS show that's like a anthology series. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and Bond is American in that for some reason, which is very interesting. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah odd one. I, I've not seen it, nor do I plan on watching it. Might have to. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen the backer, uh, Baccarat. I'm, I'm always, this is another fucking frustrating thing. Baccarat, Baccarat. I have to distinguish between the two right now. Right. It's very, it's very frustrating. But anyway, yeah, the Baccarat scene, I have seen that, the the, the card scene. In the CBS version? Yes, yes. Interesting. And it's very boring. Right. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> Can I interest you in Orson Welles doing magic tricks? <laughs> yes, sir. Would that perhaps spice it up <laughs> a bit? Yes, sir. <laughs> Fucking Orson just stumbles onto set just drunk out of his mind it's like i have a better idea <laughs> probably has fucking taco shit like running down his chin and is like hey i'll do your movie but you better let me do some fucking illusions i can't believe that's something he brought to the movie that obviously wasn't, that wasn't a well dis- of course he did who decision. else would have brought it to the movie <laughs> I, this I, is orson's like magic face I, I don't know maybe the guy that introduced the fucking ufo to the movie well that's not even not even the 50th weirdest thing in this movie. Right. The fact that Orson Welles is there and doing magic. This movie. <laughs> Can I do the levitation trick? Get me a, a prop table. Let's wait. Get me a rig table. Let's waste the day on me just doing magic. How much money is going into this movie on a minute by minute basis was driving me nuts. Do you know how much I wanted to like this movie? <laughs> I wanted to like it so, so bad. Badly. I know. I, 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 I'm. You're sitting there next to me, Nico. It's another one of those movies. Don't, <laughs> don't you worry. Um. So th- yeah, that that guy ma- makes makes the sh- the show, and that's like our first like actual iteration of Bond. Funny enough. Yeah. Uh, but he dies. He dies. <laughs> he dies, and um, not not long after, he dies. I think 1960, and um, the rights go away, and this guy Charles Feldman acquires them. And Feldman, who I guess is like friends, he 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 was um, uh, Ratliff's agent, mm. and he like uh, essentially gets involved with his widow after the passing, and he's like, "I'll take the rights, and you know, I'll shepherd them into movie adaptations yeah. on behalf of his estate." Exactly. Exactly. Right. So he is now in charge, and this is a guy that uh, he produced. I think a Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and, and well, and actually, most notably, uh, uh, What's New Pussycat, which is where he first worked with Peter Sellers and Woody Allen. So he's like a comedy guy, a big '60s comedy guy. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. But anyway, um, they can't get this movie made for a while, and I think 
Dr. No is a huge hit. It's like, well, when are we going to make Casino Royale? Well, we'll figure it out. And Casino Royale is the first book in the series. And a lot of hay was made about this in 2006 when the Daniel Craig one came out. Because that thing was billed as like the gritty reboot in the tradition of like, you know, the Dark Knight and Batman Begins and shit, right? Like we're going to do the original Bond movie, which has never properly been done on screen because the rights <laughs> were always owned by Columbia Pictures since the Charles Feldman thing. I just love, what, what, what's been going on with Casino Royale? Smash cut to the past with Woody yeah. Allen burping atomic bombs. <laughs> Trying to kill all the tall men. And, yes. By the way, he's much taller than 4'6". Yeah, well, <laughs> what the hell are they talking about? Scrappy-doo problem. Uh, anyway, yes, so... There's not like a clear answer on like why it went the route of spoof other than like enough spy movies were getting made as a result of Dr. No's success that Feldman was when it, when it finally came time for him to say I'm going to make the movie and I have the ability to make the movie these spy movies are fucking everywhere you know what and I still have the rights let's just let's just have it be a send up let's have fun yeah the the, then, the history on this is a little spotty but yeah. I I think that's what it is it's he gets beat to uh, the punch by the broccoli. Yes, yes. And the Connery series is now so successful that the initial intention to make this movie as a straight adaptation seemed kind of pointless. He, he thought like, we're only going to look like a pale imitation, sure. especially since we can't get Connery to do it. And that was the initial attempt yeah. at first too. It was like, Connery's going to be in it. I think at one point the broccoli's were going to co-produce it and there was some sort of financial dispute. Yep. So it didn't get roped in with the canonical series. And so he's like, all right, fuck it. Let's just make it a spoof. But not really. Yeah. Yeah. For the record, the fuck it mentality will carry through with just about every scene in the movie. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Mm. But um, yeah, so that's 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 what we get. I mean, and then, I mean, there's you could go more into just like the, the motivation behind hiring five four four or five directors five directors five, di- five credited directors at least and i think there's one more uncredited director correct too. so six directors one of them being john houston john houston john- who also stars as m for like <laughs> 10 minutes <laughs> i know uh it's john houston ken hughes robert paris joe mcgrath and val guest val guest i think was given the uh unorthodox credit of coordinating director because it was his job to take the five disparate sections and put them into one coherent movie now the idea for this i don't know i don't know why they decided to go with five directors i i don't really know either it's unclear if the plan was ever to just have one director i well this is the thing it's like the part (sighs) the history of this movie is so spotty in that way like like you ha- you have like the build up to the making of the movie, but once they actually start making like the decisions on on who is going to be doing what, like everything got, kind of just flies off the rails. Yes, and like why like why certain actors weren't filled in on the fact that it was supposed to be a spoof, most notably Peter Sellers. <laughs> yeah, the lead Peter of your movie Sellers, uh, which explains a lot about his performance. Sure, um, it is just a, a, like you said a a disparate collage of ideas. Uh, haphazardly strung together into a movie, if you can even call this a movie. Mm. I mean, it's a movie, but it's like not a movie. <laughs> it is impossible to follow. It is so hard to follow. 
And like I found myself watching so intently because like I didn't want to miss anything. <laughs> and even after that, I had to go onto the Wikipedia page just to read what the hell was going on. And I still don't understand. Well, sometimes, too, you're, you're like, wait, did I miss something? And then there, I must have missed something. And right. you'd be like, no, no, you didn't miss anything. No, Peter Sellers just walked off set that day. So that scene's not in there. Mm-hmm. Or this was filmed prior to the scene beforehand. Yeah. So there's no continuity that makes any sense. And then there's also the thing like that was so insane. Did that? Did that actually happen? Yes, but, but, it does have a dreamlike quality in that way. It does. Too. Yes. It does. Or just character motivations in certain scenes, particularly in the first, like you know, thirty minutes at like the Scottish mansion. Scene. Oh yes, the Playboy Mansion. It's like yeah, like, <laughs> the Scottish Playboy Mansion. Yeah, <laughs> which is that whole sequence is weird enough as it is. It's so weird, and you have no idea what you're in for. It's. Insane. We should also mention David Niven oh, yeah. is actually the lead of the movie, although he's not top billed. David Niven plays Sir James Bond, who is the head Bond. He takes over for M, for M at MI6 after he perishes in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And uh, uh, the means to which he meets his end is also unclear to me. Highly unclear, given the fact that, I don't know, uh, uh, David Niven is standing right next to him. Sure. <laughs> So they film all of these sections um, separate, and they kind of piece it together. On set, Orson Welles and Peter Sellers hated each other. There is a lot that goes into the urban legend there. There's uh, one story about Princess Margaret visiting the set of the movie, and Peter Sellers allegedly was good friends with Princess Margaret, but when she showed up, she showed a lot more kindness and attention to Orson Welles Ooh. than him. So he felt slighted by that. Orson Welles would make like also stray comments about how late he was and how unprofessional he was on set. I think at one point, was it the director of the movie, Joe McGrath, got punched in the face by Peter Sellers? Yes. Yes. Yes, that's a true fact. And <laughs> Well, sure. And, and uh, Peter Sellers is fired shortly after. That's the other thing. Yeah. Well, he's. it's also unclear, right? So... Yeah. He's supposed to be the lead of the movie, right? They cast him as straight. You're going to be Bond. Straight Bond. Yes. And he was interested in being Bond. He's always wanted to do that. That's part of the, the one of the interesting things about him. And there's also the urban legend about, like, when talking about his uh, the hostility between him and Orson Welles, that they were kind of resentful of each other's success. Yes. Which feeds into the hate. I um, mean, two just nightmares, just notorious oh nightmares of the industry, right? Why would you, you know they're nightmares. Why would you bring them on set together? I mean, the, the problem is, well, maybe it does. I was going to say, does it create a, an interesting alchemy of a scene? And it is well, only- here's the thing about that scene. It's the only Bond scene in the movie. Like, Literally. it's the only scene that actually comes from the book and has some sort of basis in the Bond character. Yep. It's the only scene where someone says Bond, James Bond. Mm-hmm. That line is never said at any other point in the movie. And it's actually, you know, although it includes Orson Welles doing magic tricks, like it's actually kind of paced like a thriller. Bondy, yes. And we do get the torture scene, a very weird version of the torture scene. Right. That you see in Casino Royale with naked Daniel Craig, right? Yes. Yeah. But it's a, you know, Bondy. It's a Bond scene, I suppose. Right. It's just, it's just a, a fucking mess, man. Right. There's a great line from. Charles uh, Feldman talking with the editor and the editor's like okay what now and Feldman was like well I guess we got to kind of form a narrative of of all this mess don't we and and the editor's like well that's a hell of a time to tell me after you've shot the fucking movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) so there's so well didn't they they had a plan for his death scene 
And because he left early, (laughs) the sellers, sellers, right? So he dies. But the way that they cut it, you can tell like this was pieced together after the fact. Yes, he quote unquote dies in a dream sequence. That's the confusing part because in that in that sequence. Yes, it's it's supposed to be like an acid trip dream. He's hallucinating. Yes. And in the dream sequence, in the hallucination, he is shot to death. But when you actually watch the movie as it plays forward, that's that's his death. Right. He doesn't come back. (laughs) He doesn't come back. No, no, no. But you also don't see him get shot. You just see Ursula Andress, who, by the way, is the original Bond girl. And she is like the double agent Bond in this one. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Am I explaining that right? Yes, you are. She is completely out of the blue. Yes, the double agent Bond girl. She is recruited by David Niven's Bond to recruit Peter Sellers' Bond because Peter Sellers is good at Baccarat. 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 Wrote the book on Baccarat, literally. Even though, and I looked this up because I've never played Baccarat before. Yes. Baccarat is like a simpler version of Blackjack. There's no skill. It's just all luck. Like, you just make the right move and you get lucky or unlucky. Yeah. So, you, you can't be good at Baccarat. <laughs> unless you cheat, which Orson Welles does because he has see-through glasses, spy it's, glasses. One of, one of my favorite lines. This is, this is a completely nerdy bullshit, by the way. But they say, he's got infrared glasses. That doesn't help you see through walls. Right. It's, that's not how that works. Well, in the Bond universe, it does. <laughs> They're not X-ray glass. Infrared and X-ray are two different things. <laughs> so, she recruits Peter Sellers and, like, sleeps with him and seduces him. Um, and... Then in that dream sequence, it is revealed randomly that she has been conspiring with Orson Welles and by extension, Woody Atlin's character, who is revealed to be the head of Smirsh. Smirsh, which is a real agency, by the way. Which is a real counterintelligence agency. A Soviet counterintelligence agency (laughs) that was initially in the Casino Royale book. Is that right? Yes. It's actually mentioned in one of the Bond films, too, weirdly enough. In From Russia with Love, I think. Yes. 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 But then they end up changing it to Spectre because they didn't want to, like, cause an international incident. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where Spectre comes from which is so funny to me because i hear smirsh i'm like that's a joke name smirsh yeah, the word, that's how it's like i'm like it's actually a funny name <laughs> it a funny and it turns name. out that's the right that's the legit one <laughs> like like plankton works for smirsh yeah that's right. what that is <laughs> uh but but that but she i think is only revealed to be a bad guy because they needed someone to kill off peter sellers in that dream sequence basically yeah so she is then revealed to be a bad guy and then at the end of it she tries killing david niven and Fails. Well, actually, succeeds ultimately, but that's a. Uh, well, she fails too, doesn't she? They, right. They all. Everybody fail. fails. Everybody dies we'll, at the end of this we'll movie. Get, we'll get it's to that. Fucking wild, wild that that's how this movie the ends. Third act of this movie. <laughs> Holy shit! Um, the widely accepted truth here is that Peter Sellers was fired. Like, yes. I know there's some debate, but most people are like, no, no, no. Well, I think yeah, it was like you're fired, but actually, you can't fire me because I quit. Like, it was that kind yeah, of situation. Yeah, it's like, no, fuck you, you're fired. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Right. So that's why, like, even when you get to the ending where everyone's dressed as angels, the, the reason why Peter Sellers is not dressed as an angel is because they hadn't filmed that part yet with him. Right. So, so it's just an outtake of him going like, ooh, look at the ground and. <laughs> Okay, so this this movie's a fucking train wreck, and it's 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 kind of amazing. Are we gonna run down the plot together, or are you gonna give that all to me? Well, I well I, I think this needs to be a group effort because okay. I don't think we're gonna be able to. It, it is a job for more than just one man. You know? Okay, thank you. Yeah. Uh, this is well. A- first of all, do you like this movie? Did you enjoy yourself? Like, what's the deal? I don't know. I enjoy parts of it. Not again. I don't know what how sincere my level of enjoyment actually is because there's a lot of like 
me looking at this movie from like a filmmaker's perspective and just like in awe of how much money they're wasting. Yeah. It is insane how much is going into a scene for basically no reason at all. The sets in this movie are unbelievable. Um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're actually great. Like I, like I could have seen this getting nominated for best set design if it was good. It is worth watching for the like weird gothic haunted house oh, that's a in great, Berlin and the, 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 that's a yeah the like like sort of German expressionist thing that yeah. they're going for that it's very interesting and you don't expect it. There's lots of like great uh, production elements to it that I like. It's not like everything in the movie sucks. Yeah, the reason the movie doesn't work is just more about like how it's cobbled together and I guess the writing. Right. I mean, obviously, but it is such a weird fever dream movie. Most of the time I can't judge this the way I do like a normal bad comedy it's not even in that grouping it's really something else did you know Nicholas Rogue was a cinematographer on this I did I saw his name in the credits and again when I'm when I'm 11 I don't know what the hell this is it's just Nicholas Rogue right but I see that name now I'm like what the fuck (laughs) what (laughs) no it makes sense like there are people that are working on this movie that are excellent at their craft it's just it doesn't hold together as a movie and it's not like it's an anthology movie to a certain extent. There are chapters in it that are easy to identify. And so I kind of, I see the reasoning, but I mean, yeah, this needs to be one person directing it. Oh my God. I mean? Like this needs to be like Billy Wilder, you know, doing it. Billy Wilder. Yeah. I mean, Blake Edwards wouldn't have made it quite as zany as insane. I mean, this is the thing. God, what do you do with a scene like the ending or what do you do with a scene like the torture sequence? Well, here's the thing. I think there is a fine line between this and it's a mad, 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 mad world. You yeah. Know? And movies like Mad, Mad World are comedies that I love. But even that at the time was considered a massive disaster, way over budgeted, overblown thing. But Stanley Kramer is able to rein the chaos in. And this movie just needs the one voice. <laughs> oh, just, yeah, it's, it, it just screams too many cooks in the kitchen. Absolutely. And like if you add to that the fact that Peter Sellers and Orson Welles are fighting, Peter Sellers is bringing in his own dialogue writer. I think he brought in, uh, is it Wolf Mankiewicz? Oh, yeah. yeah. To do some of the dialogue because he wanted to outdo Woody Allen and Orson Welles. So Which, it's just a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And when you just have a producer trying to rein it in and not like a creative voice, yeah. it's going to come across like this. Roger Ebert called it an anti auteur film. Sure, yeah. Which is exactly what this is. I think that's exactly right. Exactly. I mean, there are too many baffling decisions to count in this movie. It actually is sort of overwhelming. Like, if we were to break down, like, the moment-to-moment odd choices that this movie makes, like the cutaways, the references, the jokes, the setups for jokes that don't go anywhere, (laughs) the narrative setups that don't go anywhere, the sheer randomness of this movie, one of the most random films I think I've ever seen in my life, and when I was a kid, I was like thinking back to it, I was like, I feel like I'm missing a lot trying to call it back, right? Like there's just a lot of pieces like I just didn't get as a kid, right? Another one of those movies where it's like, no, I remembered it fairly well. It just doesn't make any sense. Sure. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you didn't dream it up. No, no, no. Um, are we starting from the beginning? Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Okay, deep breath. <laughs> All right. So cold open, Peter Sellers identifies himself as James Bond. <laughs> Immediately, I'm a little thrown off because I was told that David Niven played James Bond in this. By the way, uh, Ian Fleming's first choice to play James Bond, David Niven. Yes. Fun fact. And now here's the thing. You can imagine a world where David Niven, a kind of older, stately British man, yeah, maybe. did it. But Connery 
that was just a piece of casting magic. That was just like some alchemy that you can't replicate. You have kind of like a gruffer more blue-collar Bond. You don't quite buy David Niven as a secret agent or the guy with the gun, really. He's like a buttoned-up statesman English gentleman that was kind of known for playing those roles at the time. Maybe Ian Fleming's thinking of a younger David Niven. I don't know. Maybe that would have worked fairly well. But Yeah, David Niven's very old in this movie. He's actually in his late 50s. He would have played a good cue, I think. Sure. Sure. But now here's the other thing, too. The idea of older Bond... Has been it- done. Yeah, well, with Roger Moore, it was done. But I like kind of how this movie explores, you know, old Bond. They have to pull him out of retirement. He doesn't want to come out of retirement. Like, (laughs) when they go to his mansion, that's like the Bond house. It's kind of like the Skyfall house where, where, uh, you know, all the Bonds retire to. Well, also the idea, too, this is plays on something that's sort of a popular internet theory in that uh, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, Bond has been carried over for generations, and the original Bond has, has died long ago, and it's just a name. that It's a code name. Code name. Right. Except this one takes it to quite the extreme. Yes. So that's a theory that I don't think was ever floated in any other Bond movie, right? This is the yep. only movie that... Strictly an internet thing, I believe. Well, apparently not, though. Well, now. Yeah. Now we know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so M played by John Houston goes to the mansion and tries to get Bond back. Yes. And he's like, no, not interested in this spy shit anymore. Yeah. I'm a celibate and I don't, I don't drink. I don't sleep with women. We should mention the scene also has William Holden and George Rafton. Yes. Which blew my freaking mind. Who are also playing like international espionage okay, guys okay this immediately uh william holden's playing like a guy like he's he's an american playing like a like a cia guy but then the other dude is playing like a russian counterintelligence correct but it's a russian counter and it's not smirsh right okay so here's the thing <laughs> there is the seed of some decent political commentary in here <laughs> Oh, no. Like, there's something in here about, like, there's that great scene in the middle of the movie when I forget which Bond it is, but she goes to Berlin and there's like this training ground essentially for spies. Yes. Right at the Berlin Wall, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the agent that runs the operation is like, we train Russian spies for America and American spies for Russia. Right. And it's like this, and I think the the Bond woman ends up saying, like, uh, Oh, how democratic, yep. you know? So this idea that, like, this is a zero-sum game machine, a self-cannibalizing machine yes, that yes. just eats itself, that is just kept running for the sake of its own existence, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of what the presence of that Russian soldier implies at the beginning of the movie, is that this is all just to keep the war games going. We need your inspirational leadership in this dark hour. Please give us the benefit of your incomparable powers of deduction. For the freedom-loving peoples of the world. For the sake of the glorious socialist revolution. If I may interrupt this flow of cliché, it is now that time of day I have set apart for Debussy. Is that the intent? <laughs> well, you might be right. Like, that's that's an idea you could mine from, and I'm not sure. Do you think that was the intent of the filmmakers in the process? I think there's something there. <laughs> like, it's it's very sloppy and also not very funny. No. Yeah. Well, here's the thing before we proceed any further. Did you laugh at all this movie? I laughed at the Woody stuff. I, the, not, well, the Woody Allen scene where he climbs over the wall during the firing squad. Oh, that's squad. a great gag. He's about to get killed by the firing squad and he jumps over the wall and there's another firing, another firing squad. squad. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You can't shoot me. I, uh, I, uh, I have a very low threshold of death. Uh, my, my doctor says I can't have bullets enter my body at any time. 
I, I, uh, 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 oh, oh. What if I said I was pregnant? Oh, uh, oh. Uh, uh, could I have a last cigarette? I, I, I'm going to give it up any day now. I, mm, mm, thank you. No, I mean, I, I think I laughed. I just, in total bewilderment by specifically the third act. Like, once, once the third act really gets going, I'm laughing the entire time. But it is at the movie. I hate to say it, but it is. It's just like, what are yes. they doing now? Right. And you just can't believe what you're seeing, so you can't help but laugh. Right. Apparently, Woody wrote his own dialogue. So that makes a lot of sense. It's And again, even back then, this is a very young, early Woody Allen, and he's still doing the Woody Allen difficult man image. Oh, yeah. I, I, my, my doctor says that I can't, I can't be shot. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's unhealthy to the body. I'm getting shot by bullets. Right. I can't have any bullets enter me or something like that. <laughs> I have an aversion to death. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, at least like I recognize that. <laughs> you recognize something that's very familiar to you. I, sure. <laughs> so well, I think familiar to, you know, anybody that watches modern movies, and particularly American sure. viewers. This is, sure. you know, those are the sections of the movie that register as an American, where I think a lot of this sort of like commenting on the fall of the British Empire yeah, and no. British politics and the royal family or whatever, like, that just went right over my head. Yeah, it doesn't exactly <laughs> work, and nor, nor do I think the movie particularly cares that much about it, because right. you know, right, right when it's maybe said something on it, Bond's house gets blown up. Sure. So Bond is like, no, yeah. I ain't coming back. And so John Houston orders, he gives the orders, right? He, yeah, he's like, that's M signal. He lights a cigarette for some guys with mortars to blow up James Bond's house because right. he refused to take on the job. So they blow up his house. The pyrotechnic budget in this movie is insane. Yeah. It is crazy how many explosions are in this movie. Mm-hmm. Big and intense. Really big, like especially kind of in the scene at the end. Violent explosions often, too. Particularly like when the phone booth gets blown up, it's very like, whoa. It's, right. It kind of makes you jump, but it's like loud, and it's like, that guy got fucked up. <laughs> you can really tell. <laughs> sure. So but, Houston dies in the explosion, even though he ordered it. Yes, and he's nowhere near the explosion when it happens. He's just dead. And Oh, yeah, and his toupee flies so off. So you see his toupee fly off. Very important. Which leads to a scene where Niven goes to the widow of M saying, I'm sorry for your loss. Here, please accept the only thing that's left of him, his toupee. It's important to know. <laughs> All of this sounds much funnier than it plays, by the way. But again, they just like scenes like this, just little weird details that build and build and build, and you're like, I don't know why the movie's doing half of this stuff. So he presents the hairpiece and he goes, Just how personal is a toupee? It can only be regarded as a heirloom. Uh. (laughs) So, a heirloom. Great job, Mrs. M, who is not Mrs. M, by the way. This is another very weird contrivance. Right. So, yeah. So, basically, yeah. Of course, once your house gets blown up, where else do you have to go other than work? So, Bond goes back to work for MI6, Mm. and we have a subplot of him traveling there, which is its own movie. Just him trying to get to MI6, and in the meantime, there are Smirsh agents that don't want him to take over MI6. So their plan is to 
defile his image. And by defiling his image... <laughs> his celibate his image. His celibate image. Yes, yeah. yeah, so we must make James Bond have sex with all we of these women. We must seduce James Bond. Seduce James Bond. Man, think of it. What are the chances? Uh, <laughs> that is kind of a funny idea. Again... But they don't go all the they, way they with it, They don't do anything though. with it. Yes, exactly. No, they, exactly it's right. It's a funny idea, but like... It is a funny idea for Woody Allen to play James Bond. Yes. Like, that is, like, a schlubby guy that's really awkward with women... But not like a like handsome kind of older stately guy. Like he's kind of awkward with the one girl that's in the bathtub. Yeah, who's supposed to be what is she? Seventeen years old or something yeah, like there's that. There's some weird stuff going on there too. Yes, on. there's all like sixteen and seventeen year olds. But he's kind of awkward of like, oh, you do this with your father or something? Like you give your father baths or whatever. Mm. But like, they don't go all the way with it because he has sex with plenty of other women later on in the movie. Yes. So this is kind of my larger point that I want to make about Casino Royale in general. Okay. This is a parody of James Bond that doesn't really have anything to say about James Bond. No. I mean, it says something in the most superficial way and often abandons those ideas of the problem. Yes. Which is what I have a huge issue with. It's like, oh, I see the idea. Let's go forward with it. And then it just doesn't. Right. Everything is dropped. It's <laughs> sort of a version of the Scream scary movie problem. Yeah. It's a lot of people have made that comparison and I see what you mean but it's it's so unruly that again it kind of exists in a whole other stratosphere of weird and wrong to me but I do know what you mean in that like it's just being like let's just do a stupid thing haha isn't that funny yes even though the original source material is knowing already sure the Roger Moore movies much more so than the Sean Connery movies but there is a kind of 60s camp and self-awareness to bond Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Like, there are so many James Bond parodies. And this has been said about the Austin Power movies and the Johnny English movies, too. It's like, well, Bond already made fun of Bond. Yeah. So Austin Powers and this movie do share a lot of the same DNA. Oh, yeah. But what Mike Myers is doing is much more a send up of British culture (laughs) than it is James Bond (laughs) particularly. Sure. Right. That is not a character that has any resemblance to James Bond at all, other than the fact that he's a spy, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. whereas this put a sort of awkward James Bond that still does James Bond things. And we're going to include, you know, the Peter Sellers scenes which are played straight even though it is one of the great comedic actors of all time and you expect that those scenes are going to be overtly comedic. But they're not. Yeah, it's not really a satire of anything. (laughs) Well, effectively not. It's somewhere in between a straight adaptation and a satire. Well, yeah, though it's trying to be. It clearly wants to be. Like you see the motivation or you see the thesis statement at the beginning of the movie. But I guess, you know, we've kind of already touched upon it. But just by the fact that this was so poorly handled by so many different people, I mean, how how could it be an effective satire, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, the David Niven storyline at the beginning. Where, where were we with that? With that? So, so, yeah, he- so this mansion has been overrun by body doubles. No. 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 They are, I mean, they're Smirsh agents that were hired because, well, one of them was hired to be... Mrs. M because she could do the most convincing Scottish accent. Right. So it's assumed that Bond has never had dinner with M or M's family yeah. ever because right. that's the only way this makes any sense. Not that that matters, but it's the only way this makes sense. Sure. Anyway, it's also implied that because of like family tradition, they've had lots of babies, 
all of them just so happen to be daughters. There's right. like 17 girls in this house. Yeah, all of them happen to be smoking hot. Yes. and they're, they're <laughs> Which was one of Charles Feldman's orders when he was making this movie. It's like, I'm going to fill this hot. with all of the hot women on the planet, <laughs> regardless of whether or not they act. No, exactly. All the English babes I could scoop up off the streets My of London. My goodness. Just every woman in this movie is the most fetching woman you've ever seen. In particular, Miss Young Moneypenny. Holy shit. Unbelievably hot. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, also Dahlia Lavi, mm-hmm. who Woody Allen undresses because he learned that trick in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> she appears mostly nude in like a metal uh, contraption. Um, Ursula Andress, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But th- this scene, they're posing as the, f- the family of, of M's, the recently deceased M. And um, when they can't effectively seduce Bond, they try to kill him. Sure. They try to kill him with uh, homing ducks. Right. Homing ducks. Yes. Metal flying airplane ducks, ducks that explode. Totally. Because in a previous scene, they attached a magnetic button to his shirt and for some reason he's out skeet shooting right well the fake lady fiona <laughs> that's her name lady fiona yes also by the way quite smitten with bond uh falling for quite his- smitten well no she is amazed at his self-control that's true she is amazed that bond is able to resist the, her temptation because women find that very very attractive <laughs> right well that's what they tell me <laughs> just um so <laughs> So, um, so she, she's like real smitten with Bond. Like, how were you able to resist me? Again, funny idea doesn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so she decides to save him by telling him the entire evil plan and blowing up all of the smirch agents. And eventually she runs off and becomes a nun. She joins a convent. No trope I like more than when women run off and become nuns. It is a great one. Right. Uh, So she appears later on in the movie as a nun and it also goes nowhere. Nowhere. Yeah. So that's basically the gist of that opening scene. 30 to 40 minutes into the movie. Nothing has happened. There's a scene with giant cannonballs cement cannonballs yeah i don't know what exactly those are but yes they are cement balls and the game is just pick it up and throw it at your guy and if he can grab it if he can hold it then he's the winner and all these big burly arnold schwarzenegger men drop it and fall through the floor and stuff like that and of course little pencil armed david niven is able to (laughs) grab the cement balls and chuck them at these guys gracefully (laughs) I think Niven's really good at the movie. Do you think, though, the movie is better if him and Sellers switch roles? Uh, well. Because Niven gets a lot of overtly comedic stuff to do. Obviously, Sellers can still do his voices and Hitler shit. Yeah, but Sellers would have refused to do that. Okay, the filmmakers know they're making a silly movie. Right. So... Even if you put Peter Sellers in that role, he still tries to push it in a serious direction. Yeah, but he's such and a fucking weird guy, though. He I can't <laughs> help it. That's Peter Sellers. He's such a weirdo. You know, it's what Kubrick identified when he made Lolita. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It is what, uh, and also what he identified when he made Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. Like, the guy is just innately a weird dude. Okay, but then you get a weird opening, for sure. I don't know if it's funny. It's mostly awkward. It's really awkward. Really fucking There's awkward. no little stinger. There's nothing. No, no, nothing. Exactly. So you have a guy that doesn't, literally doesn't know what movie he's in. Yes, but they're filming it as though it's a comedy. Yes. Like, I think the joke of the cold open is literally... Peter Sellers is playing James Bond. But he's like the weirdest 10-second cold open. It's a dick joke, by the way. Mr. Bond? 
Yes? I'm Lieutenant Mathis of the Special Police. These are my credentials. They appear to be in order. Come with me. <laughs> oh, I did want to mention that the opening credits of this movie are incredible. <laughs> They're really good, and mostly just to let you know when you should be looking for the cameos of the big stars. Yes, yes, yes. You know, because, like, Peter O'Toole is in this movie for all of ten seconds. Mm-hmm. So the opening credits... Bill, Peter O'Toole is one of the leads of the movie. And these are extravagant opening credits, by the way. Like, it takes a lot of money to make these opening credits look the way that they do. Right. They're also very hard to read, but... Incredible <laughs> animations, though. Yeah, like, they, yeah. what they do is they write out the name in this ornate font. Yes. And then yes. they cut a hole into the first letter of the name mm-hmm. and show you a clip from yeah. the movie. Yeah, exactly. As in, like, this is what's coming up in yes. this two-and-a-half-hour monstrosity. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. you got, like, Jean-Paul Belmondo, who's in the final final scene for five seconds he's top bill he's like in the first 10 or 12 names listed was he the guy that shot himself yes yeah (laughs) i've been betrayed this gun shoots backwards i've just killed myself he's credited (laughs) uh, as french legionnaire he He doesn't even have a name he doesn't do anything in the movie there's one shot of him just standing at a bar looking at the fight and then he just dies right so that's what the movie does that's so like the opening credits that's what they do right they just to let you know this is a game of i spy coming up oh my no but it reminded me of what we just talked about uh hot to trot and we see gilbert Gottfried in the the credits and it's even worse here oh yeah it's even worse <laughs> it's even worse um so yeah the opening credit is so quite good yes i think that's it with that section of the movie there's a car chase too as he's going over to mi6 that comes out of nowhere right just no reason at all and they have this stupid uh, remote controlled diorama which makes no sense if you think about it for I two seconds it was hilarious yeah just like what okay whatever smirch headquarters <laughs> had like a toy car <laughs> on a track he's getting close right uh, he's get oh he's gonna catch him <laughs> right as if like they're only designed to monitor that one road that exactly. bond is going down exactly right. and, anyway it, it ends in spectacular fashion and the cars blow up and david niven escapes and they finally make it to mi6 and immediately Introduced to Miss Moneypenny, and David Niven gives it a, a big old snog, as the English say, right on the lips. Sure. And he's like, Moneypenny, you haven't... <laughs> what, I, I'm doing the Connery voice. Sorry. Exactly. Moneypenny, you haven't changed a bit. Nope. Is that better, Niven? That's kind of... Perfect, Nico. Thanks. Flawless. So he, yeah, he gives her a big old smooch. Yeah. Moneypenny, you haven't changed a bit. Well, that's because I'm actually Moneypenny's daughter. <laughs> that's how long you've been gone. I know. Uh, ooh. Ooh, we're on to the daughters bit, which is another fun. We'll, we'll, we'll work back around to this, but like they mentioned, one of the reasons why he refused to come back to MI6 was because he had an amazing love affair with a Indonesian Dutch woman. Yes, who was like a dancer and stuff. I don't, right. I don't remember what her name was, but this is a real historical figure. Interesting. An actual historical figure that exists that was killed by firing squad. Huh. So that's weird, but also. The timeline, because she's a real historical figure and because this is set in 1967 and the ages all align up, that would imply that David Niven's James Bond was seven years old when he had the love affair with this woman. Matahari. Matahari, yeah. Was a Dutch exotic dancer Uh who was convicted of being a spy for Germany during World War I. She was executed by firing squad in France. Mm -hmm. The year of her execution was 1917. And yeah, so if Niven is 
57 and 67. Right. He would have been born in 1910 and that would have made him seven years old. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, his daughter's name is actually Mata Bond. Mata, Mata Bond. So, she's Mata Jr. Yep. Uh, yes. Right. And there's this other weird thing where, like, she's kind of attracted to her father and they're yeah. kind of flirty. There's, like, this flirty vibe. But here's the thing. Like, the whole, like... Niven being a prude thing is immediately thrown out the window the second Money Penny is there at yes. MI6 headquarters. Yeah, exactly. I was like, wait, yeah. wait, wait, what's going on? Yeah, so where's this celibacy that I've been hearing so much about? Yes, he's no longer celibate, I guess. I did love the guy, his like assistant there. That guy's great. That guy's so he's the most British guy that's ever been born. Oh my god, that guy kills it in the movie. May I say welcome back, Sir James? Oh, thank you, um Hadley, sir. Of course, Hadley. Are you uh, uh, my father's son, sir? That's right. And where is your dear father now? The same place, sir. Well, that's encouraging. You better bring me up to date. Who's on what assignment? Well, it's not a very happy picture, sir. But why are the black flags there? They've been liquidated, I'm afraid, sir. Uh, Finland stabbed to death in a lady's sauna bath, sir. People in Germany. Yeah, there we, it is. We have the, 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 the secret agents over here in Tokyo who's actually been killed by a stabbing. The original James Bond is now doing television. <laughs> Hadley is the name of the character. Hadley. Derek Nimmo is the name of the actor. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Hadley. <laughs> yeah, he looks like kind of a uh, uh, Rowan Atkinson. I thought the same. A thing. young yeah. Rowan Atkinson, kind of. And I think he was just like a British day player. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's very good in the movie. <laughs> that guy's yeah. tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> Every scene he's in, I'm just like, he's back. Come back, Hadley. So, yeah, at this point, it's established that Smirsh is trying to go after James Bond by seducing him. This has now become clear to him that yes. our greatest weakness might be our temptation to go after women. Yes. And so we need to recruit a new James Bond that is not seduced so easily. Yes. So enter Coop. Cooper. There Cooper. you go. Yep. We have a great lineup sequence of candidates. I love a good candidate sequence in a movie yeah. where Miss Moneypenny comes in with her knickers, basically a nice little cute nightgown. Right. Uh, and she's just like, I must test you. And then starts making out with these guys. Right. Basically needs to test their sexual abilities. Uh, or lack thereof. Or lack thereof, yes. That's, that's what she's doing for the first one. She's not impressed with the first couple guys. Right. I would have been one of those guys, unfortunately, as we know. <laughs> I wouldn't have made it very far. No. No way. But neither would you, Nico. Oh, I can hold back. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of training. Yeah, so like um, so they they choose this guy. Well, he I first think he like kinda he rebukes her advances. Yes. And then she's like, Oh, what really? You you're not into me? Yeah. And so then they sleep together. Then they have sex, yes. And then he is put through a very rigorous training montage mm-hmm. in like a boxing gym, essentially, with a bunch of beautiful women in scantily clad outfits. Uh-huh. And they try to seduce him one by one, and yes. it fails every time. When they fail, he karate flips them onto the ground, right. which is the most jarring image of just these really beautiful women, by the way. It's all of a sudden flipped over his back, slamming into the ground. So that bond is recruited, and he goes on some missions, I think. He disappears. He doesn't just uh, go on missions. He disappears from the movie. He just Okay, he just goes away. And it's. I think he shows up at the end briefly. Yes, for some reason. We don't know why he's there. He just kind of is. Yeah. This is like the Into the Spider Verse of. (laughs) 
of James Bond. Dude, I would love to see the movie that tries to like piece everything together, like fill in the gaps. Yeah. Because man, are there gaps in this movie. The poster of this movie has the slogan on it, too much for one James Bond, Casino Royale, right? So this is like the multiverse before the multiverse existed. You know, this is like (laughs) everything everywhere all at once, sir. (laughs) You know, this is... All of the bonds and all different kinds of genres all at that's, once. That's right. Yes. Really prefigures everything everywhere all at once. Totally. When you think about it. Yeah. Then we cut to the Peter Sellers bit, which I think we kind of talked about at length. I think it comes Ursula Andress first. Okay. David Niven's like recruiting her to like help find someone who can teach Baccarat. Right. And it who just can beat Orson beat- Welles at Baccarat because he is the accountant of Smirsh and he... Stole money from the organization and now needs to win at Baccarat, more specifically cheat at Baccarat, in order to make that money back. Well, this is the closest connection to the book. He's playing the chief. Right. He is playing the chief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what happens. Which with is the, the Mads character. Yes. Right. Yes. In the new casino. Yeah. Yes. There's even a poisoning scene in this movie where she puts it in the drink and stuff and he almost misses the game and he's got to be put in the... He has the weird hallucination with deleted scenes that just play over. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of like really trippy sequences like that too. Yes, there is. Uh Uh, The sellers at one point... They're at her apartment, right? At Vesper's. That's the name of the character's apartment. Vesperlin. Yeah, we got Vesperlin again. Yes. For some reason. Right. She is, yeah. But that's not who she plays in Dr. No. Oh, no, no, no. Oh. That's not who Ursula Andress plays in Dr. No. No. No, no she does not. No, no. This is the first appearance of Vesperlin, who is, you know, played by, what's her name? In... Eva Green. Eva Green. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, invites Peter Sellers over to her house to get to know him a little better. Wink, wink. And we open the scene with her disposing of a body for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> in like a <laughs> trapdoor in the stove. <laughs> I guess it's a deleted scene that they just. I don't know why they deleted the rest of that because it's very jarring to yes. see him, just a body on a slab being dumped into a pit like Dr. Evil. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just there and then we don't acknowledge it ever again. Right. Sellers shows up there. We get the Burt Bacharach uh, song. Uh, what's the name of that song? The uh, Look of Love. The Look of Love. This yeah. Is, this is something that's been brought up a lot with this movie. Which is a Dusty Springfield song and I think it was nominated for the Oscar that year. Yeah. The, the most iconic thing about this movie is that song if you've you've definitely heard the look of love i can hardly wait to hold feel my arms around you how long i have waited waited just to love you now that i have found you you've got the look of love this and their love scene kind of begins and Sellers does bits. Another sort of running gag of this movie is that Bond is always changing outfits. Yep. Just from like, not even scene to scene, but shot to shot. He'll just like have these radical wardrobe changes. Oh my God, it's the funniest thing in the beginning of the movie. Yes. With the amatized David Niven changes these outrageous costumes. Right. Uh, so he puts on a bunch of outfits and at one point he impersonates Hitler. Another point he impersonates Napoleon. And Sellers gets to do Sellers things for a little while. Yeah. But how do you not know what the movie is at this point? Right. That's the confusing part for me. Like you're dressing up as Hitler and Napoleon. What were you thinking, bro? It's unclear what part of this actually interested him. Maybe the 3% of the gross that he got. Maybe that, that interested him. That would do it for me. By the way, that scene is quite strangely edited with the slow motion 
I mean, the beginning. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They do slow-mo with the fish tanks. That part I actually like. But then they cut to him, like, reading out of a book, then cut back to Ursula Andress, uh, flailing pillows in the air. Mm. And there's, like, feathers all over the place. But it's all in slow-mo while voiceover is happening for her. Yeah. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Then we get to the Berlin stuff. Okay. And the weird haunted house and the cool set design. Believe it or not, people, the movie's not off the rails yet. (laughs) <laughs> this is all the chill part so far It literally is <laughs> This is the one point of the movie The one section That kind of at least Hung together as an idea for me I got it You I, know I got it yeah, It's kind of like a universal Or like a cabinet of Dr. Caligari thing mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it I kind of liked it I liked it yeah. I liked the style I liked the set design yeah. I liked the weird like floating head That greets the spy. Yeah, that's right. I, this is Bond's daughter. Yes, it is. That's in this section. Mata Bond, the the original Mata James Bond's daughter. Yes. Yes. So she is in this like house of horrors in Berlin. And I also love all the stuff going on at the wall too. That shit's it's really funny. funny. You, yeah, you get the red light district on one side, and then just nothing on the on the other for West Berlin. <laughs> right. It's really funny. So she is sent to destroy pictures that Orson Welles's character is auctioning off compromising pictures of foreign leaders that he's going to use to like extort them basically right or, or that the highest bidder would use to extort yeah, yeah, yeah. another country yeah, so precisely. there's a room full of precisely. uh you know uh, american and soviet spies actually world spies global spies have all gathered in berlin and uh, they see these lewd photographs on a giant monitor and they they bit right and there's this like funny sequence fucking kato from the pink panther oh, yeah. <laughs> plays like uh, the japanese uh general or whatever so and so she is there to destroy the photographs so orson welles is out of options essentially mm-hmm. and he is forced to play baccarat with peter sellers yes that's the idea yes it's the idea it doesn't mean it's landed but it's the idea yes that auction scene and the chaos that ensues during it is quite amusing when they <laughs> start outbidding each other and changing the denominations every time yeah <laughs> and then all of a sudden war just breaks out 200,000 american dollars 100,000 pounds a wagon load of vodka 70 million tons of rice 60 tons of caviar 30 million trucks <laughs> I just love like somehow we will kill every character in this movie. (laughs) By God, it will be done. Oh, boy. I do like this kind of bit. Like one of the the attendants of the house like chases after the daughter and the taxi driver as they're driving away. And he's just shooting at them on the street in front of everybody like it's nothing. And then there's like a cop behind him that just gives him like a tisk like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. shoot at people on the road. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just all the chaos that's <laughs> happening in Germany during the Cold War. Exactly. Yeah. Then we get to the actual spy shit at Casino Royale. We actually yeah. show up yes. to the titular location of the movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, you know, the Peter Sellers Orson Welles dynamic is at play here. Orson Welles does some magic tricks. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, and, uh, Peter Sellers ends up taking all of Orson Welles' money in a game of Baccarat. Yeah. Highly unremarkable sequence that just kind of ends and 
as you would imagine, uh, Lashif, well, obviously we know the story. Lashif gets mad and then kidnaps Vesper and Bond. Right. And we get that jarring cut to the torture sequence, which we've already alluded to. Yes. And this is where the movie begins to say fuck it. We're not quite there yet, but this is the this is the first taste of right. what is going to be. So you get this really like fantastical LSD trip. Yes. With some pretty sick effects if I'm being honest. It is a bananas sequence. Yes. I don't know if this is good, but it's entertaining as fuck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get a, a great Peter O'Toole cameo with playing bagpipes. So many bagpipes in this scene. Yeah, so it's it was initially envisioned. I, I read this story, and who knows if this is true, but it is part of the urban legend. The sequence was supposed to include like elephants and zoo animals and shit. So, <laughs> and they promised Ursula Andress that she was going to be able to ride an elephant in that scene. And she was so excited to do it. It's one of the reasons why she agreed to do the movie. Well, the night before the sequence was meant to be filmed, Peter Sellers had a dream where his mother told him in the dream not to do the scene because it was dangerous. He might fall off the elephant. So they had to cut the scene at the last second and they came up with this like <sighs> weird Scottish bagpipe scene with just a parade of you know bagpipes and Peter O'Toole is one of the players of the bagpipes <laughs> what, is, what is he doing in and he comes up to Peter Sellers and what does he say to Peter Sellers excuse me are you Richard Burton no I'm Peter O'Toole then you're the finest man that ever breathed like, I'm watching this scene, and it doesn't really make any sense, but, like, I'm kind of buying it as a hallucination, maybe, like, as a stupid comedy hallucination. And then we get the guards bursting in to kill Lashif. Hmm. <laughs> and we get... <laughs> it's so weird. Just, yeah, I, the movie becomes, like, this weird fever dream just, of a movie. Just, like, this weird art house thing, Yeah, almost. it just goes so off the rails. Becomes a Nicholas Rogue movie, it kind of. Yeah. It some of the most spectacular ways so in, in the movie Daniel Craig Casino Royale one of the guys from Spectre bursts into the torture room and shoots Lashif in the head that's what happens right uh, that makes sense something kind of similar happens here we got a little TV monitor in front of Orson Welles the guys bust in and he's like he's, he's watching them on the monitor he's like oh no I still have time to get the money and they're like no you don't they burst through the screen yes. and shoot him in the head yeah <laughs> right <laughs> So that's how we do away with the Peter Sellers and Orson Welles characters. One is killed in a dream sequence. The other one is killed when another agent bursts through a television screen and shoots Literally him. breaks through the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe just let one person direct the whole movie. Oh, yeah. That's maybe a, that could have saved some time. And You know, Nico, I think you're onto something. Yeah. I, think you're onto I something. mean, just a wild idea. How about one director? Um, yeah, so <laughs> turns out that Woody Allen is running things. <laughs> he <laughs> plays a character named Dr. Noah, oh N-O-A-H, not Dr. No, and he sends a bunch of Smirsh agents to kidnap Bond's daughter with a UFO. And this is where I'm like, okay, what the fuck is going There's on? There's a UFO what, in what the What the movie? fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Because we're talking about... And I mean flying saucer. That's what I mean by UFO. Yes, yes. Yes. Yes, like, yeah, flying saucer. Just shows up for no reason. And Because that's the best way to kidnap her, is to send a flying saucer after her. That's the way I would do it. Yeah. That, for, but, that's but, how to not call attention to yourself. But the thing is, like, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are being like, they're really scattershot all over this movie. They're not really... There's no way it's like that. No, we're explaining no. it literally, linearly. Yeah, that, this is right. That's what happens. It just yeah. shows up out of nowhere. Yeah. There is a flying saucer that just kidnaps Matabond. Right. By the way, it's not clear where it's taking her. It just so happens to be Casino Royale later. We don't know where it's taking her. It just goes into the water, into a secret lair, and then it's revealed that that lair is Casino Royale. During the fight where we don't know what's happening. Right. So Niven goes after her. Yes. Ends up at Casino Royale. Uh, Woody Allen's evil plot is revealed that he is going to poison all of the men over four foot seven or whatever right yes and then also wants to create robot clones of people yes he's also been replacing world leaders with yeah like robot clones for what reason i'm not entirely just sure, you know evil domination you know and there's like a little bit of illuminati shit going on there the idea of like you know that the world is run by robots and he's the real guy pulling the strings. You Don't know? get this movie so much credit, Nico. I'm trying, man. I'm just <laughs> grasping at straws. Um, what ends up happening is Dahlia Lavi, who is another one of the James Bonds. <laughs> I forgot that she was another James Bond. That really just... There are seven 007s! There are seven of them! Seven fucking James Bonds. Seven James Bonds. Uh, she ends up slipping Woody... The poison pill. The poison pill also happens to be a nuclear bomb. Is that it, right? <laughs> looks like an aspirin. Tastes like an aspirin, but it's not an aspirin. No, guys. What it is, is it's an ingestible nuclear bomb. It turns the user into a nuclear bomb, basically. Right. With a series of burps. Yes. So this other 007 uh, slips, slips him a Mickey, as they say. Yeah. And he drinks it. And then she's like, hey, I slipped you your atomic bomb pill. Bye. And then uh, he starts burping like 300 hand-drawn belches out of his mouth. Sure. And they're all like different colors. Yeah. And he's going like, 301, uh, 300, yeah. uh, 299, right. and so on and so forth. Which is a fun plot device, the yeah. idea of the ticking bomb literally being Woody Allen. <laughs> it's a human ticking bomb. Isn't it always, by the way? It's probably Isn't, sure. it, isn't I mean, it always? Yeah, just exactly. <laughs> uh, so he's counting down... As this fight sequence breaks out, and as you mentioned, this is when all hell truly breaks loose. The amount of money they're throwing into this for no reason. There's a sequence where this other James Bond girl, they're trying to trick him to go along with his evil scheme and to slip him the drug. He's going to tell the world, and he gets up on a platform. So they spend the money to raise Woody Allen up on this platform to give a three-second speech with an orchestra playing beneath him. To give him music to do the speech to. And then it just lowers after three seconds. I'm not kidding. Like yeah. three seconds and that's it. Yeah. The thing ended up costing $12 million, which doesn't sound that much. But then I'm sure it was quite a bit. That was probably in the ballpark of like 50 or $60 million. I actually know this figure. You know what it is? What is it? So, Nico, imagine spending 
a hundred million dollars on Austin Powers, and that's this movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But here's the thing though. The Bond name had so much juice. Like it was such a popular property at the time. Ended up grossing forty one. Yeah, not terrible. Made its money back and more. Yeah. Like it actually did quite well <laughs> at the box right. office. I think for your eyes only came out that year. Is that the one I forget what I don't know the order of mm. the bonds, but one of the the fifth Connery movie came out okay. a few months later. And uh, yeah, they both made money in 67. They both did well. People love their Bond. Yeah. I don't think they love this movie, but you know, hey, it's James Bond. We they gotta, saw it. We gotta yeah. see it. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, after Woody Allen takes the pill, um, everyone starts escaping because they know, oh, the place is going to blow up. We got to get out of here. So they ask Frankenstein for help. Uh, oh my God, yeah. Frankenstein's monster. I'm sorry. Frankenstein's monster shows up uh, for no reason at all. Played by David Prowse. No. Prowse, right? I, David Prowse, Darth Vader. Who is the physical embodiment of Darth Vader, that's right, and also played Frankenstein's monster in other Universal Monster movies, and this is his first appearance as Frankenstein. What? (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) What? Yeah, so there you go. Okay. Uh, okay. Also, like um, this is like Angelica Houston's first movie too. She's like a background actor and something. Oh. And yeah, there's, there's so many people. In oh this. my god. <laughs> anyway, they they end up breaking out of their little like evil lair, and uh, all of a sudden, oh my god, it's revealed that we're actually in Casino Royale. Even though they don't draw attention to it, you just recognize the set mm-hmm. that it's Casino Royale, and then just a fight starts. What actually happens? Because I was I could not remember for the life of me why this fight actually started. Ursula Andress reveals that she is a double agent. Yeah. She threatens Niven. Some other Bond shows up. I don't remember which one. And mentions that the Americans are coming. The American aid is coming. <sighs> to which we cut to a an old Hollywood Western clip of cowboys riding in in the desert. (laughs) Smash cut to the desert with cowboys. Cowboys coming in and the cowboys eventually enter the picture. Then some Native Americans show up with some more stock footage. This is, yeah, I'd say quite offensive. Yeah, right. It's cowboys and Indians. Yeah, it's the 60s. Well, the introduction to the Indians is quite interesting. There is a drop plane like a World War II plane that the airborne troops would drop out of. The Indians are jumping out of the plane saying Geronimo as they sure. jump out. Sure. And then they deploy their parachutes and they are teepee-shaped parachutes. I forgot about the teepees. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, uh, yeah, they they show up at a good old-fashioned powwow goes on at the Casino Royale. Okay, let's... A humdinger of a fight. Let's listen. A brouhaha. A brouhaha. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is... One of the most nonsense fights I've ever seen. In it's so my- good, though. It's like the Anchorman <laughs> fight on steroids. It is one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen in my life. It's actually really good. Because here's the thing. If David Niven turned to the camera and said, fuck it, that would make too much sense. That would, sure. That would like kind of swiftly explain like why this is happening. And it wouldn't give me the same like fever dream high experience that I get from them just randomly showing a roulette table flying up into the air. I love that idea. The roulette table begins spinning and becomes airborne and and starts shooting people. (laughs) And then it blows up. Yeah. There are, like I said, the Indians. There are the cowboys. There are sea lions with uh, little name tags. (laughs) (laughs) Little name tags that say James Bond in 007. And they're fighting. (laughs) Yeah, there is an inexplicable monkey with a wig on that appears from the the baccarat table and then just disappears again. Yeah, and then David Niven is just doing these spectacular kicks 
perfectly timed kicks, by the way. I loved his kicks. Uh-huh. And that's it. They just keep on fighting until Woody Allen comes back into the picture on his like fifth burp or yeah. fifth to last burp. Right. And he counts down five, four, three, three two, two, one. And he explodes. It's a little small for a nuclear blast, it's not, but yeah, not exactly realistic. It's a big explosion as far as explosions go, though. Worst thing about the movie is that they didn't get that explosion correct. That's just not very honest. So the Casino Royale blows up and everyone dies. <laughs> this is not the first movie that James Bond died on screen, by the way. I just want to let all those haters of No Time to Die know <laughs> this has happened before. And not only one Bond died, it happened seven times. Seven, seven times, Bonds. Seven times over, James Bond is fucking dead. Yes. Uh, I do want to talk to Quentin Tarantino about Inglorious Bastards and be like, so that's from Casino Royale, isn't it? Yeah. That's from Casino Royale. I could see Tarantino liking this movie. Oh, Yes. So uh, cut to the bonds in heaven, mm-hmm. except for Peter Sellers, who didn't show up to set to film that sequence. But they all have like angel wings, except for Woody Allen, who... He does have angel wings. Okay, but he's off to hell. Yes, he's off to hell. Yes. Off to a place where it's very hot. And yes, this very funny James Bond theme song plays. <laughs> you don't get the... You don't get that. No, never. Not once. Um, but you do get this uh, little ditty that's quite amusing. Seven James Bonds at Casino Royale. They came to save the world and win the gal at Casino Royale. Six of them went to a heavenly spot. The seventh one is going to a place where it's terribly hot. And uh, that's your movie. <laughs> Did we do it? I think we did it. I think we did. I don't understand it anymore, but like any less than I already did. Or I guess maybe I do understand it less than I already did (laughs) because I'm still quite lost. You understand why the old Hollywood studio system went away. You understand why the 70s happened when you look at a movie like this and it's just so overdone and Mm -hmm. overproduced and overbudgeted. It's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster in the (laughs) traditional sense of the word. But it is one of the most spectacular disasters I've ever seen, period. It really is. It's it's, it's up there, man. Now, again, you ask me, do I like this movie? It is entertaining in a way. It is, in its own way. In in a way, yeah. I mean, there is a significant slog after the Scottish women sequence. Yes. So so if it dips at any point, it's, it's certainly there where they're trying to recruit Peter Sellers. But... Basically, once they get to the Berlin scene and on, it is just so spectacularly nonsensical that it's just, it's it's that disaster you can't look away from. Yeah, it's an unbelievable artifact, too, of a different era when, like, epic comedies were kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, as we said, it predates so many of the James Bond parodies that we now understand as modern classics without really being a parody it's more of like a like the 21 jump street adaptation it kind of makes the show uh, uh. a comedy after it was initially intended to be a drama sure you know it's kind of just like a weird tonal shift in a fever dream of a bond movie yes you know that is not particularly smart or cohesive or well written and no god bless you if you are trying to follow the plot in the way that we tried to do but it's not designed for you to be able to follow it ultimately not for its own intention it's not really it wants you to be able to follow the thing you just can't because it doesn't construct the story that way but if you want to just watch the movie and let it wash over you yes 
your enjoyment of it might be greatly enhanced. That's kind of what I'm talking about. It's not a movie where you can watch it and take it seriously or even bother trying to understand what's happening because it's kind of impossible Yeah. with the amount of holes and, and rearrangements that are going on. And it's kind of like, let's go to beat A. Uh, now let's go to beat D. Let's go back to C. Right. Now let's go to D again. Let's go to B now. Yeah. Uh, it's, right. It is such a... Let's just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks in the most literal way, mm. you know, which is a saying that's thrown around at disaster productions a lot. But this is probably the most overt example of that because it kind of is. Come for the Burt Bacharach score. Yes. Which is super fun. Stay for the set design. The Bacharach score actually is considered among like audiophiles a, uh, a very valuable collector's item. Because it's perfectly mastered, right? Yes. The, right. It is known as like just this perfectly mixed audio product and beyond just like the music itself like it just sounds really good on vinyl Mm -hmm. there's enough here you can get something out of this yes you know if if you were watching this just to knock out all of the bond movies in the way that a lot of people do (laughs) like it's it's not it's one of the two non-canonical bonds that people always feel the need to watch yeah just don't expect a, a Bond movie. It's not a Bond movie. I guess, right? It's not, yeah. a, it's not a Bond movie. We haven't even mentioned it, by the way. Two hours and ten minutes. Very long. Too long. It's quite long. Holy shit, this movie's long. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Uh, that's a pot, Adam. Yeah. I think we did it. I think we did a good number on this one. I think so, too. Uh, Nick was spared. Congrats to him, really. He's oh. the real winner in all of this. Oh, my God. I, I cannot imagine how he would have reacted. Oh, he would have had such a headache, and he would have been so mad at you. Yes, he would have. Um, yeah. In a way, I'm happy that he's not here, but in another way, I'm, I'm upset that we were robbed of that experience. I know. <laughs> it would have been really fun to get his reaction to this movie. But he will be back next week with uh, something else. Who knows? We'll figure it out between now and then. Yeah. Uh, until then, listen to our Ardman podcast that we did on the Movie Hall of Fame this week. Mm-hmm. Talked about some claymation films over there. And yeah, that's it. That's kind of it. Yeah. We love you too. Yeah, we do. Oh, I started a Substack. If you if you're into that kind of thing. I don't think I'm gonna do anything with it. Oh. <laughs> but it's just there. I might. Ow. I wrote a thing about succession. And I'm like, I don't have anywhere to put this. So I started a newsletter on Substack oh. and uh Sweet. Maybe I'll put more stuff there. I don't know. Cool. I like it. But it exists. So go check that out. It's on my socials and stuff. Until next time. Oh, we don't have any catchphrases. Right. Goodbye. No no bits. Bye-bye. Get out of here.